Core of the Bible Podcast number 11, Vigilance on the Narrow Path to Life. Welcome to the Core of the Bible Podcast. My name is Steve and I'll be your host as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. Now, as you may know, it's my belief the core of the Bible consists of seven main principles of conduct surrounding the topics of kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. And in this episode, we're going to be exploring the topic of vigilance necessary in a believer's life to follow the narrow path that leads to the small entranceway of life. Yeshua stated it this way, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. And that's Matthew seven thirteen and 14. This narrow path analogy runs deep in religious circles. There's a general recognition of the unique nature of this path in the believer's quest for life. It's narrow and rarely traveled compared to the broad way that leads to destruction, as Yeshua says. The images usually used to convey this concept have to do with a narrow footpath, perhaps through a wilderness or along a mountain ridge. The idea typically put forth is that it's a path that's in out-of-the-way places, away from the wider conveyances of the general population, just as a hiking path differs from an interstate highway. They are completely different ways of getting from point A to point B, and they take travelers to two different destinations. So all of this is not untrue in the context of the passage at hand, but if we dig a little deeper into some of the words Yeshua used to express this concept, we may come away with a slightly different and more profound understanding. Charles Ellicott's commentary for English readers says this, quote, Narrow is the way, literally pressed or hemmed in between walls or rocks like the pathway in a mountain gorge, unquote. This narrowness is defined by obstacles that are standing nearby, preventing movement in either direction but forward. It's also expressed as a way that is compressed. There is affliction and tribulation associated with this way. So to summarize this type of understanding, in the core of the Bible paraphrase, I have restated it this way, quote, There is a constricted entryway into life which has many obstacles standing about it. Labor fervently to stay on the difficult path that leads through the cramped passage to life, along with the few others who also perceive its value and find it. Unquote. In my view, this description sharpens some of the terms in our English versions like small gate and narrow path. So a typical understanding of this verse might leave one with the picture of a small one-person garden gate that must be entered after walking along a beautiful, winding, narrow path through meadows and forests. And the sun has been shining and the birds have been singing and beautiful flowers line the sides of the path. The way has been relatively flat, and we've rarely had to exert ourselves in our protected way. However, I would like to propose a slightly different picture, a fictional parable designed to illustrate the narrow path that Yeshua speaks of. The way of life is to traverse the desolate high plateau of Arizona or Colorado through a narrow slot canyon which twists and turns in confusing patterns. You're never able to see more than a hundred feet in front of you, and 
Confusing side canyons are passed from time to time. It's where rock falls tumble in front of you and must be climbed over, where poisonous reptiles lurk in sun-warmed handholds, while you're consistently scraping through passages only wide enough to pass through sideways, sucking in your stomach and putting your arms out flat to ensure you have clearance to get through. Finally, after braving the obstructions and challenges of the slot canyon, the destination is not a single-person garden gate at the end of a meadow path, but a weathered and a heavy door that creaks open to an indiscriminate rough cave opening at the end of the canyon. To enter the darkness of the cave, you have to get down on your already scraped and bruised knees as you move into a cramped passageway with loose rubble strewn in the way. Ahead, the darkness gives way to some dim light peering around the bend ahead. Sweating due to the exertion of the journey and the humidity of this cavern and repeatedly hitting your head on unseen obstacles hanging from the cramped cave passage, you reach forward with a dirt-stained arm to push through the rubble of the partially blocked passageway ahead to see where the light is coming from. Okay, so this slot canyon analogy expands quite a bit on the narrow path contained in the imagery used by Yeshua. And I think you might notice a slight difference between this depiction and how that concept is typically presented. But that's the point. We have to look at things differently because it really isn't all sunshine and roses and mountain meadows on the path to life. You see, believers have chosen a difficult option when it comes to a life path. One cannot just fall into the kingdom of God by accidentally stumbling into it. It requires grit and intentionality and determination to pursue the things of God. It's not just a sunny walk on a garden path, although it can be at times. But it's more typically a a perilous journey around obstacles and through constricted passageways, all the while wondering if you've heard God correctly. And then a confirmation appears on the way ahead, but only far enough to get you to the next corner or the next obstacle, and then you must continue pushing on. Testing happens at every corner, but testing is for the purpose of strengthening, and strengthening provides stability of footing and the opportunity to grasp the hands of others whom you may encounter inside this narrow canyon and to help them on their way. Vigilance on this path means being intentional and listening for God's direction. It includes being strengthened through testing and looking beyond yourself to the needs of others along the way. This is the path of the disciple of Yeshua, the narrow path of vigilance that leads to the constricted entrance of life. In learning about the path, it's necessary to discuss why one would even seek such a path in the first place. If someone's going to go through all the struggle and hardship mentioned previously, then it makes sense that they should have a clear understanding of the goal. Yeshua says, the way is narrow that leads to life. What is this life that he mentions? Well, first of all, the type of life mentioned here must be some other sort of life than just raw existence somewhere. We know he can't just be speaking here of life as existence because someone who's striving for a goal is already technically physically alive. 
So looking at some perspectives from over the centuries since Yeshua spoke these words, we find different ways of viewing this concept of life. For example, Matthew Poole, a British theologian in the 1600s, he states what is likely a very common understanding of this passage when he writes, and this is the 1600s, so consider that. He writes this, quote, The sum of what our Savior here saith is this, There are but two ultimate ends of all men, eternal destruction and eternal life. The course that leadeth to destruction is like a broad way that is obvious to all and many walk in that. That course of life and actions which will bring a man to heaven is straight, and he means here not straight, but uh, a narrow, restricted passageway, unpleasing to flesh and blood, not at all gratifying men's sensitive appetites, and narrow, the Greek is afflicted, a way wherein men will meet with many crosses and temptations, and there are but a few will find it." John Gill, also a British theologian living a generation after Poole, in his exposition of the Bible states a similar view. The path which leadeth unto life, unto eternal life, it certainly leads thither, it never fails of bringing persons to it. Believers in Christ, all that walk in Christ the way, though they are said to be scarcely saved, by reason of their afflictions and trials they meet within the way to the kingdom, yet they are, and shall be, certainly saved. They shall be safely brought to glory, which will be an abundant recompense for all the troubles and sorrows that have attended them in their journey. Unquote. You know, I find it interesting that those who equate the kingdom of God with some ethereal afterlife existence will typically align the term life with eternal life, as in an unending afterlife as a reward for faithfulness during this temporary existence. However, various commentators over the centuries have described this idea of life that Yeshua expresses here in different ways than just eternity. Some have thought of this life as more of a description of an ideal than just a state of existence. The Expositor's Greek Testament states it this way, quote, The right way is described as narrow and contracted and as leading to life, a pregnant word, true life, worth living, in which men realize the end of their being, the antithesis of destruction. Unquote. The pulpit commentary says this, quote, That leadeth unto life. Observe, Christ does not say life eternal. He only cares to emphasize the thought of life in the fullest nature of life, life as the fulfillment of the highest idea of being, perfect truth in perfect action, unquote. Once again, Charles Ellicott's commentary for English readers says this, quote, which leadeth unto life, noteworthy as the first passage in our Lord's recorded teaching in which the word life appears as summing up all the blessedness of the kingdom. The idea is developed as we advance, the life becomes eternal, and finally we are taught that the eternal life consists in the true and perfect knowledge of God and Christ in John 17. Unquote. And we will explore John 17 further in just a little bit. Matthew Henry straddles both the concepts of this present life and eternity when he writes this, quote, And yet this way should invite us all. It leads to life, to present comfort in the favor of God, which is the life of the soul, to eternal bliss, the hope of which at the end of our way should make all the difficulties of the road easy to us, unquote. Throughout Yeshua's teaching, he always spoke of the kingdom as being near or at hand. And in my view, the life of the kingdom should not be relegated solely to some 
afterlife existence or some future worldwide paradise. Life and kingdom are a reality now as we live obediently and faithfully in our present existence. Now, by contrast, the way of destruction that is broad and contains many travelers is then a life without knowing God, without knowing Yeshua. That life leads to destruction or loss because the things done in that life really have no lasting value. Some other Jewish writings from the time of the New Testament state the plight of the wicked from their perspective as they realize the error of being on the wrong road. This is from Wisdom chapter 5, verse 6. So it was we who strayed from the way of truth, and the light of righteousness did not shine on us, and the sun did not rise upon us. We took our fill of the paths of lawlessness and destruction, and we journeyed through trackless deserts, but the way of the Lord we have not known. And what has our arrogance profited us? And what good has our boasted wealth bought us? Unquote. That's a sad commentary on a life that is recognized as having been essentially wasted. If we were to view those on the wide road of destruction as lost from the narrow path and not just on some inevitable conveyor belt to damnation, we might be more inclined to reach out to them to at least show them the option of the way of life, the way of the kingdom, and to exemplify its standards. Now, they may not be attracted to it because of the challenges it presents, but some will. G.K. Chesterton is famously quoted as saying, quote, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried, unquote. But even though this may be the case, we should never give up hope for others to also be drawn to this way. Some will instinctively know it is the right way to go, regardless of the challenges. I mean, after all, we're here and learning from each other on how to move further down the canyon and identifying which side canyons and areas to avoid. It is possible for others to come off the way of destruction, as many of us had when we saw the alternative potential of the, albeit more challenging, way of life. Earlier, I had mentioned in a portion of the Ellicott commentary how I liked his bringing of John 17.3 into the discussion at hand as that verse captures this view of life that I also hold as my own. John 17.3 says, And this is life eternal, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Unquote. So eternal life is knowing God and recognizing Yeshua as sent from God. This life that is stated as eternal here is expressed through the Greek word ionios, while it certainly conveys the idea of enduring, perpetual, and everlasting, what we would consider eternal, it also implies that which has always been and will always be. It's typically translated as age, as in distinguishing one era of time from another. So if this eternal life is, quote, life of the age, unquote, what is the age that Yeshua is speaking about here? Well, I believe he's speaking of what to Yeshua's listeners, would have been considered a new age to them, an age of life available through faith in Messiah, an age that would never end. And I believe we're continuing to live in that age today. The path of that life is narrow, it's constricted, it's full of hardship and travail, yet it is one that results in true life, which is knowledge of the only true God and His Messiah, Yeshua. That is a life worth striving for.
before we conclude our fictional parable of journeying through the constricted passageway to life through the slot canyon, the description might proceed as a milestone is reached, making our way toward that faint light that was just ahead around the corner. It might go something like this. The final obstructions of rock tumble down a slope ahead of you as you push through the cramped passageway into a lighted cavern beyond, which opens up into a hidden paradise. A waterfall empties into a vast lake of clear, cool water. Sunlight from above, hurtful to the eyes which had strained through the darkness, streams abundantly over all, nourishing the fruit trees and the berry bushes lining the shores of the lake. Tumbling headlong down the slope, you stumble wearily to the refreshing waters and drench yourself at the shore, cupping the running water coming from the waterfall and drinking liberally. You and your companions take pleasure in having reached this place of rest and refreshment along the way. The knowledge of this place reassures you that you're on the right path. On the opposite end of the lake, another canyon beckons toward the continuing journey. You see, if we have this view of the narrow path, this way of life really is a way of vigilance, of watching for obstructions and challenges, and it's a way of grit and determination and effort. But the reward is a knowledge of our Creator and His Messiah that enhances our every step in the here and now. He provides the refreshment and strength we need to complete the journey. So as we seek to follow Yeshua, we're drawn not only to Him, but to each other. And if we have this perspective of reassurance and reward, we can certainly hold one another up and help each other on the way. Well, once again, I hope I've been able to provide you some ideas and concepts to meditate on further. You see, vigilance is a challenging way of living, of keeping an eye out for the dangers around you while intently listening for God's direction and constantly scanning and looking for the continuation of that narrow way to life. We need to keep in mind that vigilance is one of the concepts that's integral within the core of the Bible qualities of kingdom, integrity, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. And it's my hope that you'll continue to review with me these aspects of human expression that I believe God expects of all people. So be sure to visit coreofthebible.org to join the conversation through comments, to see daily blog posts on these topics, and to find free downloadable resources regarding the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. Do you have questions about today's topic or comments or insights that you'd like to share about your own path? Perhaps you found this podcast helpful or encouraging. If so, I'd love to hear from you and include listener comments in future episodes. So feel free to email me at coreofthebible at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening today. As always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care.